On Friday, I went to Walmart. That's it. No, on Friday, I went to Walmart and uh, went to the self-checkout counter, and they, of course, just about every one of the counters now is a check, self-checkout thing, and uh, so I went there, and, and uh, I looked down, and there was about $40 in the change dispenser, uh, the money return dispenser, and I thought, whoa, hey, free money, right? Who doesn't, who doesn't like free money? And then, then I looked around, and I realized something very important. Uh, this isn't a government office. This can't be free money. Uh, this, this is a business. It's an establishment, and so... Uh, I realized somebody left the self-checkout line without taking their change. And, uh, and so I picked up the money and got the uh, attention of the attendant there and gave her the money, told her what happened. And, and in fact, before I finished checking out, the, the man who left the money came back, and he was very grateful, of course, to receive uh, the money that he had left on accident. And um, that whole experience, it, it was obviously a test, a test of my faith. And um, the question was, is David going to do the right thing, or, or is he going to keep the money? And I, I've, got to, I've got to admit to you, uh, this was not the toughest test of my faith in, in life, okay? Um, certainly not what we're about to read about in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. Um, but nevertheless, it was a test. And, you know, I didn't actually think to myself through all of the ramifications of what, what might happen if I keep the money. You know, I didn't, I didn't think, well, someone's watching, you know, or you could destroy your witness or bring shame upon the church. Uh, what would your kids say if they found out? Or would your dog even like you anymore? You know, I didn't think through any of that. It was just real simple for me. I, I just alerted someone about what happened because it was the right thing to do. And, and even though for me it, was, it just seemed in that particular instance to be a very small test, it was nevertheless a test. Because had I kept the money for any reason, I would have failed the test. And that's the thing about your faith in God. If you think that you have faith in God, you say you have faith in God, your faith will one day be tested. It will be tested. It might be a little test like that, or it might be a doozy. But your faith will be tested. Because there's going to come a time in your life when the Lord himself will seek to determine whether your faith in Him is strong or weak or not even existent. Fake. And so today I want you to understand a very important lesson, that when your faith is tested and you pass the test, let's say you, your faith is tested and you pass that test, I want you to understand what happens to you. Because what happens to you is you'll come through the other side of that experience, of that testing, with a new experiential understanding of God. What I mean by that is you might not know anything else new theologically or anything like that, but it's one thing to understand something about God in your mind. It's another thing when you go through an experience that the Lord has placed in your path, and you come out the other side with that kind of knowledge. And so it's an experiential knowledge. And that experience that you have with God, it will give you a, a deeper character, and it will enable you to stand firm against anything that comes your way. Why? Because now, by experience, 
your faith is more securely anchored in the rock that is Jesus Christ. But that's if you pass the test. Well, way back in the book of Genesis, we have this guy named Abraham, a major figure in the book of Genesis. And it's been quite a journey for Abraham. Way back in Genesis 12, uh, God made a promise to this man, Abraham. Abraham was about 75 years old or so. God made a promise to him, and the promise was that, essentially, that he would be a great nation. And there are some other things that God promised as well, but that's really at the core that, Abraham, I've chosen you. You will be a great nation. Well, you fast forward a little bit to Genesis 15, and Abraham asks a very important, very obvious question. Hey, Lord, how are you going to make me a great nation? Because I'm an old man. My wife, she's not uh, too far behind me, and uh, we don't have any kids. How am I going to be a great nation if I'm childless? And the Lord says to him in Genesis 15, there will come one from you. One will come forth from your body, and he will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside at night and said, look at the stars of the sky. Can you count them? That's how numerous your descendants will be. And then in Genesis 15, 6, something very important happens because Abraham heard the word of God, heard the promise that God made, and Abraham believed the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord took that belief and he considered it to be righteousness on Abraham's part. And that's a very important idea, very important concept because that is how you and I get right with God, not by being super moral, okay? We've already messed up. We're not already not moral enough. And Abraham, by the way, wasn't always the super moral guy, but what Abraham had was belief in the Lord. And so God takes our belief, and he considers it righteousness. So that happened in Genesis 15. So God clarified the promise, specified the promise a little bit more. Abraham believed the Lord, and God considered it to be righteousness. Fast forward a little bit more, Genesis 18. The Lord and Abraham, they have another talk. They have another visit with one another. And the Lord, at this point, specifies the promise even more. He says, by the way, it's through Sarah, your wife. Your 89-year-old wife is going to get pregnant. And she will have a child one year from now. And so that happens in Genesis 18. Same promise. It's developed a little bit further, specified a little bit more. Then what happens in Genesis 21? God keeps his promise. Abraham and Sarah have a child, Isaac. And it is through Isaac that Abraham will become a great nation it is through Isaac that all the families of the earth will be blessed. It is through Isaac that Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And so everything's fine. But there's one problem. Abraham's faith has not yet been tested. It has not yet been proved. And that's what we run across in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, Abraham's faith in the Lord will be tested. You know, having enough faith in God to believe what he's saying is one thing. Having enough faith in God to obey him 
is another. Especially if obeying God might mean that his promise to you doesn't come true. And that was the crisis of faith that Abraham faced. In Genesis chapter 22, if you haven't already turned to your, uh, in your Bible to that chapter, I invite you to do so at this point. In verses 1 and 2, here's what we read. And actually, verse 1, let me, we'll pause after verse 1. Now it happened after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Very important statement is made in this, in this verse. God tested Abraham. We're told from the very outset that this is a test. You remember that on the radio? You know, this is a test. Just a test. The Russians aren't bombing us yet. It's just a test. But we're ready if they do. This is only a test, right? So here we have God telling us from the very beginning, this is a test. God is about to test Abraham. And when God mentions this at the very beginning, it's a clue to us that something extraordinary is about to be asked of Abraham. By the way, God is testing Abraham, not tempting him. What's the difference? Okay. A temptation is designed to cause someone to do evil. God doesn't do that. That is not what God does here. That is not what God does anywhere. It is not God's intent that Abraham do evil. In fact, as we learn in the story, God stops Abraham before an evil deed is actually committed. God never ever tempts you to do something evil. If you are tempted to do something evil, do not say, well, this is from God. No, it's not. It's not from God because God does not tempt you to do evil. This is a test. A test is different. A test is designed to expose a person's faith for whatever it is. A strong faith, a weak faith, or non-existent. And that's what God does here. God intends to show Abraham's faith as being genuine. And here's the test stated two different ways. Number one, does Abraham believe that God will keep his promise to make him a great nation through Isaac? Even if Isaac dies. What an incredible test. Abraham, if Isaac is no more, do you still believe that I will make you a great nation through him? That's the question. I've given you a promise. Now I'm giving you a command. If you obey my command, do you still believe the promise that I made? even though it means that the person through whom I would fulfill the promise is no more. Stated differently, the question is this. Can anything destroy Abraham's faith in God, even the death of the fulfillment of God's promise? This is a major test of Abraham's faith. And so we read 
in the next verse, verse 2. Then he, the Lord, said, Take now your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Notice what God calls Isaac. God doesn't just say, hey, take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. No. Take your son. And not just your son. God says, your only one. And not only your only one, the one you love, Isaac. Take him and go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. You know what a burnt offering is? Burn offering is where you cut the animal's throat, kill it, and then burn the body. Uh, that's what I want you to do. That's what I'm commanding you to do with your son. So go to the land of Moriah. So Abraham begins his walk of obedience. In verses 3 and 4 we read, So Abraham rose early in the morning. Think about having to sleep on that all night. Wonder how much sleep he got. He arose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship. And we will return to you. What an incredible statement. What an incredible statement. I mean, God had already told him the plan. I want you to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. So when, when, when Abraham says to the, to the young men that are there with him, uh, we will return to you, was he just sort of fooling around? I mean, was he, he, was he trying to get these guys not to rescue Isaac by not telling them the plan? Is that what he was doing? Uh, was, he, was it just wishful thinking maybe on Abraham's part? No. It wasn't just wishful thinking. Abraham actually believed that he was going to kill Isaac. And he believed that he and Isaac would come back. How do we know this? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, here's what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only son, to whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. He, that's Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he also received him back. Abraham believed that he was going to actually sacrifice Isaac. But he also believed so much in God that God would keep his promise to make him a mighty nation through his son 
that there could only be one thing that would happen. That he would sacrifice his son and that God would raise him from the dead and they would return to the two servants with the donkey. And that's why he told the servants, we will worship over there and then we will return to you. And so we read in verse 6, Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and put it on Isaac his son. And he took, his knife, it took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. So now we have this picture of it's just Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is over 100 years old. And here's his young son Isaac. And Isaac is carrying the wood that will be used for the sacrifice. I mean, there are unmistakable parallels between this story and that of the story of Jesus. Because just as Isaac carried the wood to the place of the sacrifice, we know that Jesus Christ carried his own cross to the place of his sacrifice for us. And likewise, just as Abraham was willing to offer up his son as a sacrifice, God the Father was also willing and did offer up His Son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for us all. How do we know that? I mean, who was it that delivered over Jesus to the cross? It was God the Father, ultimately. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we read, Jesus our Lord was delivered over on account of our transgressions and was raised on account of our justification. Who was it that delivered Jesus over to death? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Ultimately, it was God the Father who delivered over His own Son. We read about that in Romans 8, verse 32. He, meaning God, indeed did not spare His own Son, but He delivered Him over for us all. And if God did that, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And so we have this picture of a father being willing to sacrifice his son. And so, going back to Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 and 8, then Isaac spoke for the first time he speaks. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Same, same response that he gave to the Lord earlier in this chapter. Here I am. Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire in your hand, the wood on my back. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. What an incredible question. Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And the answer that Isaac didn't realize at the time is this. It's an answer that echoes throughout eternity. The son is the lamb. The son is the lamb. John the Baptist knew this. 2,000 years later, 
when he encountered Jesus during his own ministry. We read in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 34, On the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And a few verses later, John the Baptist said, And I myself have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Where's the Lamb? The Son is the Lamb. Well, now it's time for the sacrifice back in Genesis 22. Verses 9 and 10, they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. He arranged all the stones. He arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and put him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. And then we read in verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the boy. And do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. Many theologians, many pastors and teachers have taught on this passage and undoubtedly this very important thing that I'm about to share with you is glossed over in order to make other points about the passage. But I think it's one of the key components of this story. The angel of the Lord said, now I know that you fear God. What was it God wanted to know all along? One question. Do you fear me? Do you fear me? Listen, this is what all spiritual tests ultimately boil down to. Whether it's a big one or a small one. The question is, do you fear God or not? Will you do what God says? even if it hurts? Will you do what God says, even if it costs you? Will you do what God says, even if people don't understand? Will you do what God says, even if you don't understand? Because in the end, either you're doing the will of God, or you're not. You know, if a person does not fear God, It becomes quite obvious in their lives. They take the money that they find at the checkout register. Or they care more about pragmatism and results than they do about faithfulness. The person who doesn't fear God will tend to live an immoral life and then sometimes even justify his immorality by saying, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. God is my judge. 
without any clear understanding that God himself will be his judge. A person who has no fear of God wins at all costs, even the cost of his own soul. A person who doesn't fear God ultimately tries to set himself up in a place of authority over God, refusing to take orders from him because the man thinks or the woman thinks that they know best. But if a person does fear God, they will obey God through the pain. They will withhold nothing from God, not even their own children. Verse 13, Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there was a ram after it had been caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. God provided an offering in the place of his son. Similarly, Christ Jesus took our place in receiving God's wrath against sin. He did that in the place of us. Receiving it. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide, as it is said this day, in the mount of Yahweh, it will be provided. Think about that. Yahweh, the Lord, will provide. What a beautiful phrase in Hebrew. Yahweh, Yara. What is it that the Lord provided? The Lord provided the sacrifice that Abraham believed would occur back in verse 8. You see, God always keeps his promises. I've got a question for you. Is there something that God has promised that you need today? Now, it has to be something he promised. Because I've known people to get mad at God. I've known people to drop out of church. I've known people to, to claim even that God didn't keep his promise because they didn't get that promotion at work. Or they didn't get healed the way they wanted to be healed. Or they're going through a tough time instead of an easy time. But I've got news for you. God didn't promise any of those things. He didn't promise any of those things. I'll tell you what God did promise. God promised to never leave you or forsake you. God promised to forgive you of all your sins. God promised to give you what you need. Not always what you want, but what you need. God always keeps his promises. And, the, and Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. And then in verses 15 and 16, we see the rest of the story. The angel of, the, of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not spared your son, your only son. By the way, let's stop there. The Lord says, the angel of the Lord says, By myself I have sworn. This is the only time you'll find in the book of Genesis where God swears on his own character to fulfill his promise. Now he does that elsewhere. In Scripture, and in a few different places. But here in Genesis, it's the only time. God absolutely, without fail, will fulfill 
his word to Abraham. By myself I have sworn. And so this promise that God began to make in Genesis 12, that he clarified in Genesis 15, that he clarified even further in Genesis 18, that he kept with the birth of Isaac in Genesis 21, and now the same promise that has been tested and proven through Abraham's faith to come to pass. Now, God, in the next two verses, will, for the final time, give this promise in its final form. Verses 17 and 18. This is what God says to Abraham. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. The word greatly wasn't in Genesis 12. God said, I will bless you. But now, now that Abraham's faith has been proven, God says, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens. And not just that. And as the sand which is on the seashore, and on top of that, your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Your descendants will sit in foreign cities' gates as the leaders of that city. And God says, in your seed, all the nations, not just the families, but the nations of the earth, will be blessed. And here's the why. We didn't hear the why in Genesis 12 because it hadn't happened yet. But now, Abraham has proven his faith with his obedience. And God gives him the why. Because you have listened to my voice. God was saying to Abraham, your obedience today echoes throughout history. You and I might not be an Abraham. We might not have Abraham's historical importance. But I'll tell you this. Your faithfulness to God will echo for generations after you. So be faithful to God and pass the test. And so in verse 19, the final verse that we'll study today. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and walked together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham's spiritual journey with the Lord has reached a point of full maturity. God's not finished with Abraham just yet. But now there's someone else on the scene. A much younger man who must undergo a spiritual journey of his own. And it's Abraham's seed, Isaac. And we have an anticipation for what God will do through Isaac. As for you and me, each one of us here have our own spiritual journey with God. Unique to us in many ways. But if you were to ask me the question, how do I begin a spiritual journey with God? I mean, if you were to say to me, well, Pastor, that's all great about Abraham and everything, but but I don't feel that that's really me. I'd like to have a, a journey with God. I'd like to begin this walk with God, but where do I begin? It begins just like it began with Abraham, with faith, believing, 
That's where it begins. Faith in the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Faith in Jesus Christ. You see, what happened historically was this. About 4,000 years ago, when Abraham was alive, God made a promise to him, and the promise was about the future. The promise was about Abraham's seed. And even though Abraham didn't know it, it was through his descendants that ultimately the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. Abraham actually had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he may not have known the name, as we do. Abraham had faith in the promise of God. You and I, we live 2,000 years after Jesus. Our faith looks back in time. You see, for Abraham, God said, I will, and Abraham believed. For us, God says, I have. The question is the same. Do you believe or not? If you don't believe that God has, then you'll never be on that journey with God. But if you believe that God has, you can have your own unique, wonderful, incredible journey with God. It begins by having faith. And Christian, for those of you, the many of you in this room that have already begun that journey with God, you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If today you find your faith being tested by the trials and temptations of life, the difficulties that surround you, I want to encourage you to stay strong in your faith. Obey the Lord, and the Lord will provide, because that's who he is. Yahweh, Yara, the Lord will provide.